your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 48. This morning, have you ever heard the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? And have you ever heard, uh, turn the other cheek or go the extra mile? All of those phrases come out of our passage this morning. And I am really excited to kind of go through this. Um, I'm very, very thankful for this passage. When I was uh, growing up as a kid in church, um, I just could not bring myself to actually obey God. The things that he said, man, I, I had no doubt that God was real, but I just couldn't do it. It was just too hard. And uh, one of the things that was so challenging for me is that as a kid growing up in church, um, I was just fighting this internal battle where it's like, okay, God, this is what you're asking of me, but it's just too hard. It's going to wreck my fun. I just can't do it. And, and as, as a kid growing up in church, I just thought about all the adults that I knew that went to church. And I actually couldn't think of anybody in, in my church that actually wholeheartedly obeyed God. Um, every single one of them, from my perspective, I would look at their life and I would just say, you know, these guys are full-grown adults, they're parents, they read the Bible and just say, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. And, no, I'm not going to do that part. And I just remember as a, as a teenager thinking, man, if these mature adults that are teaching classes and things like that, if they can't obey God's word, how in the world am I supposed to do it? And I just kind of said, forget this whole thing. And, um, and the Lord worked in my life. And I ended up becoming a Christian in high school. And, and actually, one of the things that changed in my life, it was right as I was graduating, was I just decided I am going to live a wholehearted life for Christ. Whatever God says I'm going to do, I'm just going to obey it no matter what it costs. And I remember um, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I, in reading that, it says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. And I just remember thinking, well, if, if I obey God, I might not have any friends, but if I was a living sacrifice, like dead people don't care if they have friends. And I thought, well, if I obey God, maybe I'll lose my job, but dead people don't care if they have a job, you know? So I just thought, well, if I just think about myself as a living sacrifice, I should be able to do all the stuff here. Well, <laughs> then I read this passage. And I just remember as a new believer thinking about the things that are stated in these 11 verses and just thinking, man, that just seems impossible. How can anybody actually do those things? And I want to encourage you this morning that we're going to read this passage. And one of the things that Jesus said about the Pharisees was that they, they bound up these really heavy burdens and they laid them on people's shoulders Burdens that they themselves were not willing to carry. And I think throughout history, there are a lot of people who have read the Bible and they've actually made it say things that it doesn't say. And they've laid those burdens on people. And so we need to be very careful that we don't take scripture and because we're careless with it, create a burden that is not actually God's burden. On the other hand, it actually does not matter what sacrifice Scripture calls you to make. If you're a believer, you do whatever it says. If the Bible says you're supposed to do something that is just unbelievably difficult, then that's exactly what you do because we're Christians and we trust God. And, and as you read through Scripture, there are so many people who have just said, I'm going to do exactly what God says, even if it's unthinkable. 
Like for example, you got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar says, worship my idol, or I'm throwing you into a furnace. That, I mean, that's like a, that, that, those are two impossible options. And they just said, well, hey, you know, I'm gonna do whatever God tells me to do. And they get thrown into a furnace and God saves them. And by the way, that is the background from which we live our life. We realize God's in control of everything. He interrupts natural laws at times. And so we just live a life of faith we trust God, and we do whatever he says. And you know, when you think about your life, it actually doesn't matter what difficulty or struggle you're facing. The same humble faith that allows us to obey what's in this passage is the same humble faith that actually gets us through every difficulty, every challenge that we face in our life. As Christians, we live a humble, submissive life of faith. All right. So in our passage, um, I, I will say, correctly understood. This is one of the most <laughs> radical passages of Scripture in the Bible. I mean, seriously, you could understand it incorrectly, but if you understand it rightly, you still have to walk away saying, oh my goodness, how do I do this? And so, um, you know, we just want to remember that the Pharisees, they were masters of misrepresenting Scripture. And as we go through this passage, we're not going to try to come up with excuses to get around obeying. You know, think about this. Like, have you ever met kids that if you say to them, hey, don't touch your brother, that then the brother's falling and they could help them and they just go, hey, you said not to help my brother. I just let him fall down. You know, and, and how sometimes that's a problem with legalism is we take things and if it's not in your heart to honor and obey God, you will figure out a way to actually disobey what you're being asked to do. And so, and that's what the Pharisees did, and, and they were always coming up with excuses. But for us as believers, we just have a genuine, humble heart. We're just saying, God, what are you asking of me? I'm going to wholeheartedly figure out how to do it, not how to get around it. One of the things that's helpful as we look at this passage is that God never puts you in a catch-22, where it doesn't matter what you do, it's wrong. I'll give you a small example, then we're going to dig through our passage. But, you know, we just covered how you need to be a person of integrity, right? How you need to keep your word. And yet, in our passage, we're going to read something that says you must give to everybody who asks. So let's just think about this. You have $1,000, and that money is for your rent. And you've made a commitment, you've signed a contract, you've agreed to pay your rent. And then somebody walks up to you and says, you got 1000 bucks? can I have your 1000 bucks?" Okay, wait a second. We're supposed to keep our word, which means pay our rent. But then there's this person asking me, I'm supposed to just give everybody everything they ask for. And so as we understand Scripture, we understand that, that every passage of Scripture comes in the context of the entire Bible, and we never have to disobey one verse to obey another. We put them all together, and we understand accurately, God, what is it that you're saying and I'm not going to try to squirm out from underneath what you're saying, but I am going to wholeheartedly obey all the things that you've told me to do, and I'm going to weigh those in life. Which is, like, that's the whole issue of legalism. It's making rules that actually don't necessarily take into account everything that God has said. And so uh, let's jump into this passage. Man, this is Loving like Jesus loved, that is what is in this passage. Um, you could say this is extreme biblical love. So let's, uh, let's take a look at this. And 
Um, can you, uh, can somebody put the PowerPoint up for me for whatever reason it doesn't seem to be loading up? Well, then we, we might have a fence up there, but it's just not here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. I'm going to pause for a second and see if I can get this taken care of. Yeah, commercial, there you go, the Jeopardy music. We might move on without it, we'll see. All right, <laughs> we're gonna move ahead. All right, so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter five, verse 38. And this is going to be our first point, is this, that, um, that Christians trade vengeance for forgiveness and a benevolent attitude. That's what Christians do. Matthew 5.38 says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs of you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And um, this is one of the most misunderstood, misused passages in Scripture. And uh, this whole idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You know, a lot of people think that's the Old Testament standard, but now in the New Testament, we don't do that. And one of the things I want you to know is that the Pharisees were masters at misrepresenting things. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is just as applicable today as it ever was. That was a standard given in the Old Testament, and the standard given in the Old Testament has not changed. It is to be applied today exactly the way it was intended to be applied in the Old Testament. And so uh, you might ask, well, what is that? So here's the deal with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That phrase never had anything to do with taking personal vengeance. Never. The, the purpose of that found, statement is found three times in the Old Testament, every single time. It is found in the context of legal requirements, of a fair, just legal system. In fact, one of the examples was if a person was giving false testimony in a trial. So this is obviously a legal context. It says that if, that if you have a malicious witness that is lying about somebody in court, you are to apply, if that person is discovered, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it goes on to say, you shall not show any pity toward that person who lied at all. And so what that means is that in the legal justice system, if a person is in a murder trial and they're maliciously saying, 
that person's a murderer and there's a death penalty if that person is wrongly convicted, the person bearing false testimony would be killed. If you are testifying in a trial and you were saying this person stole from that person and the consequence was going to be that they had to pay something back, if you were found to be a malicious witness, you actually had to pay what you were trying to force somebody else to pay. This is simply that we need to have a legal justice system that's just, where people receive the punishment that's appropriate for their crime. Now, in the Middle East, I was reading an article uh, in, this week, and in the Middle East, about a few months ago, they actually chopped somebody's hand off for stealing. And in the comments underneath this, this article, um, one person said, oh man, I think this is a great idea. Somebody just robbed my shed. They stole my tools. And I'm just telling you, if I could find them before the cops do, I'm cutting off both of their hands. And somebody else is like, yeah, I hate people who steal. We should always chop off people's hands because that way you could identify the thieves. You know, that's precisely the thing that God said can't happen. See, in the Old Testament, if you stole something, you had to pay it back with interest. But you weren't allowed to make a rule that just says, we're going to make the punishment so bad, nobody would ever do this. You know, think about that. If um, the person whose tools were stolen, if his high school kid went and stole something from somebody, I, I think his attitude about what punishment should happen would probably change if it was related to him or somebody he loved. And all of a sudden, just replacing what was stolen with interest would be appropriate. See, one of the ways that we go wrong is when we take something that was intended for legal justice and we start trying to apply that in our personal relationships, which is what the Pharisees did. And I'll tell you something else, it's just as wrong when we take the principles that Jesus says we are supposed to express in our personal relationships and try to bring those into a legal justice system. That's also wrong. Um, we're supposed to forgive. We're not supposed to have penalties. But can you imagine living in a society that had not appropriate um, penalties for things that were done? And, and one of the big problems with our legal system is that in many ways it's unjust. It, it punishes people unfairly and also it doesn't punish people fairly. And so we need to understand this is different. What God's, God's desire for justice has not changed but it's not supposed to be applied in a personal relationship. In fact, in the Old Testament, it very clearly says you can't take revenge. In fact, this is what it says in Leviticus 19:18: you shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Proverbs 24, 29 says, Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So this whole idea that in the Old Testament we could seek revenge, but now we're in an enlightened age in the New Testament where we don't do that, that's wrong. God has never been okay with personal revenge. Now think about how the Pharisees applied that. Think about how you'd apply that in your life. I'm driving down the road and somebody cut me off. I'm going to speed up in front of them and I'm going to cut them off. I was going into a store and somebody bumped me. I'm going to bump them back. 
Like if you think about what happens and what it does to personal relationships and people, when you try to take that standard and apply it in personal relationships, it destroys relationships and it is a terrible testimony of who God says we should be. So we need to have a just punishment for a crime, but on a personal level, we're not seeking justice. And one of the reasons for that is that justice has so much to do with perspective. Who's right and who's wrong? And and Jesus says, don't hold on to what your rights are. Don't pay people back for what they've done. Have this default response that I'm going to love you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to Go the extra mile for you. Now let's look at these statements. It says here in verse 39, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So many people have misapplied that. Don't don't resist the one who is evil. Uh, One religious leader during the Second World War was saying that if you want to do what's right, don't resist Hitler. When when the Nazis come into town and they want to take over your house, just let them have your house. If they want to take you out into the street and kill you, just let them kill you. And and they promoted that kind of pacifism. Um, Pacifism is not actually something that is supported in Scripture. And that is not what Jesus is talking about here. In in fact, um, the Bible tells us that we are to resist evil. Ultimately, James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he'll flee from you the old testament is full of commands about protecting the innocent and actually even self-defense laws in the old testament there are laws about if somebody breaks into your house at night and you kill them that's okay because you don't know it's dark you don't know if they're coming into your house to kill you and god's principles of self-defense are not different than they've ever been and so really, we, we still don't take revenge. This passage is not speaking about how laws should be formulated. Romans 13, 1 through 4 says that the government does not bear the sword for nothing. God's purpose for government, and the sword, by the way, is to take life. The government has the right to take life because God has given them the responsibility to keep order. And so this is not saying that we shouldn't have laws or that a Christian can't be a police officer or be in the military. That's not what this is saying. In fact, there were Roman soldiers that when they repented and they said, okay, I'm a Roman soldier, I've repented, what should I do? And the response was not, well, you've got to get out of the Roman army. The response was, be content with your wages and don't extort from people. They were never told to leave the military. They were not told to leave law enforcement. You can be a faithful Christian, and you can represent the government in military as well as in the police force. So this is not talking about that. Um, In fact, Jesus, when he was sending out his disciples, he said to them, um, one time he sent them out, he he said, don't take a money bag, don't take a coat, don't take any of those things. And then when Jesus is about to leave, he says to his disciples, remember last time I said, don't take a money bag and don't take a coat? He says, this time I'm telling you, take a money bag, take a coat, and take a sword. And one of the disciples goes, well, we got two swords. And Jesus says, okay, that's enough. And so this whole idea that this is teaching pacifism is actually not what Scripture says. It's not what it's teaching. 
So then the question is, what is it teaching? And when it says, don't resist the evil one, then Jesus goes on to explain what he's talking about. So this, this resisting of evil is expressed in this phrase. It goes on and it says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you and do not receive, do not refuse one who would borrow from you. So that is the context. So let's think about what these are. Slapping on the right cheek instead of the left. Have you ever heard adding insult to injury? See, that's what this was. In that day, a way that you would insult somebody, and it actually was physical hurt as well, would be to backhand somebody. And in fact, in Jewish law, if you backhanded somebody, um, your fine was like, it was significant. It was like a year's pay. Um, so that's if you backhanded somebody, that would be striking somebody on the right cheek. And then if you turned the other cheek, that would be slapping somebody like this. And actually, that was less of an insult than the first one. And you would only be fined about a half a year if you slapped somebody this way. But if you slapped somebody that way, that was degrading. And so Jesus is talking about physical punishment here. It is talking about injury, but also insults. And so what Jesus is saying is that in your life, you don't injure anybody who's injured you. Like a little kid going to school, if somebody hits them, the highest priority is not you must immediately hit back. Um, that's not to say that no kid going to school should ever fight. Um, sometimes kids need to learn to defend themselves. But to be able to be in class and to say, oh, man, this kid hit me, and to say, I'm not going to hit him back. They insulted me. I'm not going to insult them. I'm going to go tell the teacher. I'm going to go talk to the principal. I'm going to make use of all of the, the resources that God has given me to try to avoid this. And I'm not just going to go through life with this attitude of anything anybody does to me, I'm going to pay them back. But it's also not to say that, ah, oh, you got a Christian kid, send him to school, and he comes home every day with a black eye. And the teachers aren't dealing with it, the principals aren't dealing with it. No, you just need to be physically abused and beaten up every day. And so that's not what this teach is teaching. It's teaching this attitude of, I don't pay people back, whether they insult me or even at times when they injure me. Um, the next verse, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This is not saying... Anytime anybody wants to sue you, just give them everything. Don't use courts to defend yourself. What it's saying is that if you're going to, if you get into a dispute, now think about this. When people sue each other, um, have you ever seen somebody in a lawsuit and if you talk to people, they both are convinced that they're right? You ever seen that happen? Uh, I've seen this sometimes in divorces as, as people squabble over resources. I remember talking to uh, one lady who was, getting divorced. It was a biblical divorce. And I just said, in this divorce proceeding, what you should do is whoever this, this person divorcing you is going to ask for something that's not fair. And you should just immediately give it to them because you will end up with way more than if you go to court and fight through the attorneys. By the end of the process, um, they're not going to get what they want, but all your money will be gone. And when all the money's gone, then the, then the fighting will stop. Um, but this, this is just talking about, like, let's say, for example, you were to be sued. 
and you're gonna lose your shirt. It's like a, maybe you didn't follow through on something in a business perspective and a person's gonna sue you because they were wronged. This is saying you go the extra mile. If you might lose your shirt, don't even fight over it in court. Go the extra mile to do what's right, to, to be reconciled, to say, okay, if you got hurt, how can I make this right? Can you see the difference? I mean, a person might go to court and even if they lose a legitimate lawsuit, still be bitter and angry and feel like that's not fair. What did you, why did you do this? Why did I have to pay you? The judge shouldn't have made me do this because in our own minds, we always feel like we're right. And this is just saying, no, prioritize peace. Don't take revenge. Go the extra mile to do what's right, to resolve things, to be peaceable. If anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two miles. So in the New Testament period, a lot of times Romans, like they would just conscript, conscript labor. Remember when Jesus was uh, carrying his cross and all of a sudden he fell down? What did the Romans do? They just grabbed some guy and said, you carry this cross. So they're in a culture where sometimes the authorities were kind of abusive and they might say, hey, you have to do this. Uh, we're going and we need some people to carry stuff. You guys get over here and carry this for me. And you got to carry it a mile. And people are like, oh, these people, they're idiots, they're jerks. Why are they making me do this? And Jesus is just saying, no, have a different attitude. Whatever you're asked to do, go the extra mile. Do extra. If they, want, if they tell you you have to carry it a mile, do it with a happy attitude. In fact, carry it two miles. So here, here's a potential analogy for kids. Let's just say a kid goes to school. I had a friend who was a substitute teacher. And he was substitute teaching in this really rough area. And to try to like just keep things under control, uh, he told me that on the first day of class, his very first class of the day, he'd go to the front of the classroom and he'd say, um, could everybody please sit down and be quiet? He would just say it in a nice, calm, quiet voice. And then the very next person that said a word, he'd say, Hugh, could you come up here? He'd give him a referral, send him to the office. And everybody's like looking around going, hey, wait, what just happened? And he says, you know, I, he says, I felt really bad. You had to have a sacrificial lamb. So I just looked for a sacrificial lamb, and I just came down really hard on the very first person. And in this school, it was so rough. If you got a referral, you were suspended from school the next day. So if you played football and there was a football game on, you weren't playing. So it was like a pretty severe consequence. And he just found a sacrificial lamb, and that guy was out, and then the rest of his classes would go okay. So we faced situations like this with our kids in school, where maybe they're in school and the teacher says, hey, could you guys quiet down? Because everybody's talking. And then they might pick out our kid, who was probably the best of all the kids who were talking. <laughs> and they would say, all right, you have to pick up trash at lunch. And the kid's like, oh man, this is not fair. There were 10 people talking. I'm the only one that has to pick up trash at lunch? Like, how's that fair? This is wrong. This shouldn't be happening to me. All I did was talk, and now my whole lunch has to be spent picking up trash? Um, Jesus is saying that when somebody forces you to do one thing, you should just be willing to do extra. And I just said, hey, man, were you, were you talking? Did you do anything wrong? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you shouldn't have been doing that. And you know what? Nobody else got punished. So what? So pick up trash at lunch. But before you're picking up trash at lunch, Empty the trash can in the classroom on your way out to pick up lunch, and when you get back, wipe down the tables. 
Now, can you see the difference in attitude between a person who says, no, I will have justice, I will take revenge, this is not right, I will fight for my rights, and a person who goes, you know what, if it's not fair, that's okay, I'm going to go the extra mile, I'm going to do the extra thing. What does that do for your personal relationships? How does that impact the testimony of Christ? So now let's just take that attitude in general and let's bring that into our personal relationships with people at church or in your marriage. I've sat down doing marriage counseling with people and I've listened to this couple say, oh my goodness, my wife is a nightmare. She's terrible. She just does these evil things to me. And uh, then he tells the story and I just go, wow, that person sounds pretty bad. And then the wife sitting next to the husband says, oh, that ain't nothing. Let me tell you what he does. And she goes through this list. And I think, man, that sounds pretty bad too. And you know what? The truth is that um, probably there are elements of both of those stories that are genuinely true. And there are also probably elements that are elements of perspective. And, and maybe even I did something evil to them, yes, but it's because of what they did to me that was evil, so it's justified. And it just becomes this cycle of these two people that just squabble and fight and they're angry and half of the stuff that they're angry about is legitimate and half of it is not and it just destroys relationships. Whereas if you have a couple that's married and they just say, actually, it doesn't matter how many times you wrong me, I'm never going to wrong you. I don't care if it's fair. I'm going to just do what God calls me to do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm not going to retaliate. That transforms marriage. This, uh, these two principles of not taking vengeance and loving those, loving your enemies, man, that, that transforms the relationships in our life that are the most critical, the most important. And that's what God is saying. And it's not just for marriage. It's not just in those relationships. This should just be your attitude in life, that you don't return evil for evil, that you give to the one who begs from you and you don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is in the context of paying people back, that even if a person who has been unkind to you needs help, that you will help them. Even if a person that you're mad at, you see them stuck on the side of the road, and I remember when I was in high school, um, I had an English teacher that was going to fail me for sure. And, um, and I saw her. It was this terrible class. I hated the class. And I was a terrible student. It was like this was going to wreck my life. And um, as I'm driving down the, the road, I see her stuck on the side of the road. And I just thought, man, that's that teacher that just torments me, that's going to fail me, is going to be the reason I can't play sports. And I just pulled over, and I went and I helped her. Now, I wasn't a Christian yet. I don't know why I did that. But I ended up just going and helping her. And you know the most amazing thing happened? So she was passing out grades, and the grade was an F. So she passed that out to everybody in class. But when my report card came, I had a D. <laughs> and I know it was because I helped her when she was stuck on the side of the road. 
But, you know, we're supposed to be generous and gracious and kind. And wouldn't the world be a better place if we did that? Somebody cuts you off on the road, and you just give them extra space. Somebody bumps into you, you say, oh, I'm sorry, just get out of their way. Somebody cuts in line at the grocery store, yeah, go ahead. Um, how does that change our life versus saying, no, I'm going to think about what seems just to me? You know, Romans 12, 14, I don't know if you can uh, find that verse on the screen. Cindy? Awesome. It says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. A lot of times we might feel like something's evil, but actually if you were to just take a survey or if you were to stand before a judge, maybe a judge or maybe everybody wouldn't see it the same way as you. We're supposed to think through not just how do I feel about what happened, but big picture, what's right here? And then it goes on, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It is not always possible to have peace. The next slide says this, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what God is saying to us? I know everything, I know what's right, I know all about justice, and I don't need your help. You know, there's, there's a peacefulness as we face injustice in life, just knowing God knows God will take care of it. And so we just tr we trust him, knowing that he'll do it in his time and in his way. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we, we just return good for evil, and a lot of times that's transformational. Um, let's look at the next, the next one here. Um, Christians love and pray for their enemies. So this is not about seeking revenge. It's about being benevolent toward people who harm you. But even beyond that, it's about loving your enemy. People who say, I hate you and I am against you. God calls us to love them and to pray for them. Look what it says, Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You think the Bible said that? You think it said that in the Old Testament? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Nope, it didn't say that. Um, what's interesting is even the part that they quoted correctly, they actually modified. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. The emphasis of that is how do you love people? I care about the needs of other people the same way I care about my own needs. If somebody else is hungry, what would I do if I was hungry, I'd eat. Okay, I'm giving them food. If I was cold, what would I do? I'd put a jacket on. Okay, I'm giving you a jacket. If I needed somewhere to stay, I would give myself somewhere to stay. So you need somewhere to stay, come stay with me. It's the extent that you are to love your neighbor. It's as yourself. And they left the as yourself part out and just focused on who do you care about? It's your neighbor. And do you remember the story Jesus tells about who's the neighbor? And then he lists the priest, and he lists the Levite, and then he lists the Samaritan. They'd all say, I hate the Samaritan. The priest, yeah, he's my neighbor. The Levite, yeah, he's my neighbor. The Samaritan, nope, don't like him. Not my neighbor. Don't care about that person. And then Jesus tells a story 
about a guy who's beaten and robbed, and the priest walks by, and the Levite walks by, and then the Samaritan helps him, and then Jesus says, in this story, who's the neighbor? And he comes back to, um, hey, what's your attitude toward people? And they go, well, I guess the Samaritan's the neighbor. And so the neighbor has to do with anybody and how you treat the people around you. So Jesus completely addressed their perspective because this says, love your neighbor as yourself. And um, it also says, the, the Old Testament never says you're allowed to hate your enemy. In fact, it gives specific instructions on showing love to enemies. Exodus 23, 4 says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. It doesn't say hate your enemy. It says don't just go, ha ha, I hate that guy and he hates me and there goes his donkey. Ha ha ha, see ya. No, you go find that donkey, you do good to your enemy. You bring that donkey back. It goes on and in Exodus 23, 5, it says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, Lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So when you see your enemy, you see this person who hates you, and, and they're trying to free their animal from this burden, you have to go help them. Is that hating an enemy? See, that's what the Pharisees did. They took everything the Old Testament said. They just misrepresented it. And Jesus is saying, nope. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he said in the Old Testament is also what he says today. His character has not changed. This is what God was teaching originally in the Old Testament. He corrected their abuse of the Old Testament. So he goes on and he says, not only are they wrong when they say love your enemy and hate your, your, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but he says this, but I say to you, Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So this is two things. It's an attitude toward people who are your enemy and who hate you, and it's an action. It's to pray for them, to pray for their well-being, and in a way that flows out of the heart. See, God just doesn't say you can hate your enemy in your heart, but you got to go help him with this donkey. And so you're just hating it the whole time. I can't stand you, and I, I, I'll help you with this, but I hope in a, like, I hope like in 20 minutes this thing falls again. You know, God doesn't say that you're allowed to control your behavior and not deal with your attitude. He says, no, your heart needs to be in it and your actions need to follow. And so to pray for somebody, that's to pray for them, to bless them, to pray for their well-being. If they're not a Christian, you are praying for their salvation, which will transform their life and they'll stop being jerks. If they are a believer and they're your enemy, you're praying for repentance, that they'll see what God wants them to see, that they'll, that they'll have a right attitude, that they'll stop doing these things that are bad, that they'll see life for what it is, that they'll embrace the things that Jesus is telling them. And so we do that. And I'm going to give you some reasons. There are some reasons in this passage. Um, verse 45 says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You wonder what the first reason is? Acting in this way, it's just a reflection of salvation. This is what Christians do. Uh, how do you know if a person's a Christian? Well, they don't 
pay people back, they don't demand justice, and they love their enemies. That's the way believers are. You reflect your heavenly Father's nature and character. You're not doing this to earn your salvation. You're doing this because you are a Christian, because you have salvation. And then it talks about God's goodness to his enemies. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Do you know any wicked people that have good things in your life, in their life? Do you know any rich, famous people who um, have good things? See, that's God being kind to his enemies. And because God's kind to his enemies, we're supposed to be kind to our enemies. It goes on and it says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You know what that says? God rewards people who love their enemies. So the first reason is because we're Christians. It's a natural outflow of a believer's life. The second thing is because God rewards us. God blesses people who take these things and obey them. It goes on and it says, here's a third reason. If you don't, then you're actually acting like an unbeliever. This is what Matthew says. Don't even the tax gatherers and collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same? So Matthew's a tax collector. He's hated the worst category. And he, just, he, he basically, like, Jesus just says, you're like the worst people in the world if you're nice to people who are nice to you and you're mean to people that are mean to you. You're just like an unbeliever. And so we don't want to be like unbelievers. And then here's a fourth reason. It's because God demands it. God's not asking. He's not saying, um, you know, I know I say this and it's really hard, but you don't really need to do it. God demands that you don't um, pay people back and take revenge. He demands that you love your enemies and that you do good to those who persecute you. This is not an optional thing. God doesn't say, I know it's hard and I say it, but we don't actually obey everything in there. God says, you do it, you do it because I tell you to do it, and it is not an optional thing. And I just think that that is, like, this is hard to do. When you think about people who have really hurt you, they've done things to you that maybe have impacted your life. I think about the bitterness that you could have, like, let's just take divorces, where you have a person who they're married, uh, maybe they put, maybe one spouse puts the other spouse through college, and then as soon as that spouse graduates, um, they run off and marry somebody else, and now they're rich and they have a great life, but they divorced you when they were poor, so you're not even getting, a, you know, even, even like getting half the money, you're not getting anything. And, and so then you're struggling to pay your rent, and your kids don't have anything, and your kids are neglected, and year after year, day after day, month after month, you are suffering while you sit and watch somebody else be blessed, and it just seems like everything's going good in their life. Now, that's hard. It's one thing when somebody insults you in a grocery store, and then you walk away, and who cares? But when somebody sins against you in a way that you are suffering day after day, it's hard. That is a difficult thing to do. And, and, and it can be so challenging, but it is not optional. 
We have to deal with our heart. We have to obey what God says. We wholeheartedly throw ourselves into that. This is a challenging passage. But I want to just remind you that this is an expression of the gospel. God loves us. He's merciful to us. He does not take vengeance on us. He loves his enemies. And by the way, that's us. We've all sinned against God. The sin, our sin against God is worse than anybody's sin against us. And we would all say that, right? Is your sin against God worse than other people's sin against you? We would all say yes, but none of us actually feel that way. And God is saying, no, I, I love my enemies and I forgive you and you need to represent me here on earth. It's the gospel. When I think about what God demands of me, I am so thankful that God's like that. Okay, God, I've been your enemy and you love me. I've done things wrong and you didn't take vengeance on me. Man, I just, I love what this says about God to us. Uh, there's another thing, though, about vengeance is that God does take vengeance. Romans chapter 2 says that unbelievers are storing up wrath for themselves in the day of judgment. Right now, there's common grace. Right now, God is causing the sun to rise on the evil and the good and the rain to fall on the farms of the evil and the righteous. But there's a day that that comes to an end. God's full, undiluted wrath and his vengeance will be taken on every single person who does not have a relationship with God. This passage ends with God saying, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, there's going to be an eternity of suffering for people who harden their heart and who rebel against God. And you know what? That happens for many people. God's being good. They're rich. They're famous, they're talented, everything is going perfectly in their life. And then at a young age, they get up one day and they don't come home. Uh, they're now standing before God. It's appointed for a man to die once and then comes the judgment. Uh, there's people who um, their whole life, they eventually die, they don't know the Lord. There's a day that it's going to end for humanity as a whole. In fact, um, 2 Peter tells us that Jesus hasn't returned yet because God's being patient. But you read the book of Revelation and eventually there is an end and there is wrath for people who don't know God. And so as you think about all of this, it makes us appreciate the gospel, but it reminds us that everybody around us needs to hear the gospel. We need to represent that. Part of our actions and part of what motivates us to not take revenge is because we want to see people come to know the Lord. Their eternal destiny is more important than whether they damaged your car or anything else that happened. And so we pray for people and we love people and we're pursuing the gospel and we're thankful for all that this means in our life. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The good news is no matter how bad you are, Jesus made a way for you to be forgiven. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Lord, help us to take these things seriously that we would not be people of vengeance, that we would not hate our enemies, but that we would love them the way you loved us. God, I pray that when people meet us, they would see you. Lord, that we would be peacemakers, that we would experience the incredible blessings that come 
from practicing these things in our relationships in your name. Amen.